0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Tulare Church Podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank you for engaging in our content as we seek to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. We hope and pray these sermons and talks will inspire you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. So I want to look this morning at the walls of Jericho. If you want this afternoon, if you have the time, and you'll go back to chapter six, you can read a lot. That's just chapter two through chapter six is a great chunk of scripture to look at. All right. We only need to know one important fact when we come to the walls of Jericho. And that is, is it really possible for those walls to fall down. Is it really possible? Now I'm going to describe the walls and sort of how big they are in a minute. But remember that the first generation, the generation that was going to experience this, they've all died in the wilderness. They had no faith in God. And God said, because of your lack of Faith in me, you will not enter into the promised land. So this group of people has hopefully learned something from their their forefathers. And now they're asked to do something that seems impossible. Jericho stood between Israel and the promised land. Would a smart man just walk away? Hebrews 11 verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This word, by faith, is something that I try to keep in front of myself often. I think faith, sometimes getting faith is difficult, but maintaining a Christian faith is challenging. What sort of faith would this this be? Well, I want to give you some ideas, some suggestions. Number one, it is faith that acts in spite of how things looked at the moment. We're going to go into a little more detail in a moment. Faith in spite of how it appeared. I've never seen the remains of this city. But I'd love to, for about the last 140 years, they have been doing a huge amount of excavating. You know, when, when Jerusalem was, fi- Jericho was finally destroyed and, and they just burned it. They just came along and as a sand, they built over it and built over it. They, these hills called tells. And now they've, they've gone to a great deal of effort to finally get down to what was once Jericho. The Canaanites built this city as a gateway to protect the trade routes into their land. It's hard to see unless you have a map of Israel. This was the promised land, the the area that God promised Abraham. When the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, they have one of two ways to get to the promised land. One is by the coast, the way of the sea. That would have taken them about 12 days. But God says, "No, I'm going to take you out in the middle of the desert, and I'm going to show you who I am, and you're going to learn that I am your God." Now, when they come, when it comes time to enter into the promised land, they're coming out of uh, of the desert, and they're moving across the 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 Sea of the Jordan. Now, the river it doesn't look like much now but in that day it was huge a lot of rolling water and so as soon as they get across that water the first thing they're going to face is the city of jericho what was jericho to joshua how did how did joshua view this city number one it was pagan in its belief Uh, We don't have time to go into all of it, but it was the antithesis of what God wanted for his people. Number two, it was a a city of strategic importance. As long as that city remained, Israel would never fully conquer the land. Number three, it seemed like humanly you could not attack and take the city. And then God wanted it removed from the land God doesn't just want partial he doesn't want sort of conquered he wants it totally conquered and removed from the land when the first group was was heading out God said this when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you the Hivites Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. You shall show, show them no mercy. So anytime you read in the text later that after the walls fell down everything was devoted to god they took the silver and gold and put it in the tabernacle but everything else was destroyed man woman child etc we're going to cover why this is so important to god in a moment the first thing they're going to confront in the promised land is unbelief, pagan belief, that was just totally different from anything they've ever run onto. The Canaanite had its emphasis upon idolatry and immorality. If you can imagine, well, you can. In today's world, we live in a world in which there is idolatry and immorality. Remember, anything that you worship is your idol. The psalmist will say this later. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. What's their, what are they doing? Things that are immoral. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. I I know it's been 40 years because the first generation had to die before the second generation could go in. But they they were told repeatedly, when you go into this land, do not mix with that group, do not make covenants with that group. Why? Because... You believe this, and they believe something that's totally opposite. They're incompatible. There was a military component, but there was also a spiritual component to Jericho. We're going to look at this a little bit more. Obviously, the military component is how things came down. But the the spiritual component is really significant. It is the fact that they believed everything that God told the children of Israel, don't believe, don't get involved in it. Here Israel, you are to cross over Jordan today and to go to dispossessed nations greater, greater and mightier than yourselves. Cities great fortified up to the heavens. The archaeologist Bryant Wood describes the the walls of Jericho this way. He says it was surrounded by a stone retaining wall at the base. The retaining wall was about 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that was mud and brick, a wall six feet thick and about 20 to 26 feet high. And then on top of that was a crest or an embankment around 46 feet. Richard, I don't have my calculator, but it's somewhere around 80 feet tall and 60, 60 feet, six feet thick. Some say it was even bigger, but this is the best that they can guess. So when Israel comes to see this city and to take it on, this is what they're up against. The Israelites, as they march around that city on a daily basis, are going to see something about 80 feet tall as they march around this city. Second point I want to make is that faith follows a very unanticipated path. Have you noticed that in your life with faith that you, you you know sometimes Jerry has it all worked out. I I know Pat how this is going to work. It's going to be this way. And then I find out, nah, it's not going to be that way. So faith sometimes brings us to a point, something that we couldn't see before we get there. So they're to march around Jericho once a day for six days, march with the Ark of the Covenant, priest seven, uh, put the seven priests in front of the Ark, have the priests blow the ram's horn as they marched on the seventh day, the seventh time they're going to shout. So I don't know what the next slides are, but here's what I want us to remember. God says, I want you to march around this city, a big city. I want you to march around it. And I want the priests and another group, I slipped my mind, but I want them to blow this ram's horn, this shofar. But I don't want anyone else crying out or making any noise. By the way, in the text that was read earlier, do you find it strange that Rahab had the faith that she did? I find it amazing to me. It's like the centurion and other people that I find in there. Now, the Israelites had what? They had a they had a God who enabled them to have a reputation. So they march around it and they're quiet. Now, if you've crossed the Jordan, and you're marching around the city, and you're inside Jericho. What are you thinking the first day? Uh Uh-oh. We've heard about you guys, and you're finally here. But they march around the city, they blow the horns, and then they go home. Next day, they come back, march around the city, constantly blowing the horns, and then they go home. They repeat that, the the text says, for six days. Then the people shout, they blow the horns, and the walls come down. They enter the city, and they conquer the city. If I were a doubter, and I might have been, like, if I were a doubter like 80 feet, I don't see this working out well but suddenly the walls are gone. How would you feel inside? Like maybe I should have had more faith to start with. Maybe I should have bolstered this along the way, or maybe you believed it in this hallelujah, this worked. Follow God. A few more details to the plan. He instructs them to be silent. All right, I've covered all of this. Um, Marching plus horns plus shouting equals what? A lot of noise. But nothing nothing much takes place. Faith gives victory. Now, I, I didn't define this, but faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you haven't seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is really significant. I hope as you read through the Bible, and maybe you're reading through it this year, as you're reading for different points, notice how many times faith comes up. What's involved. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho, into your hand, and it's kings and mighty men of valor. Now, if you go back and look at the text, in verse 2, Perry, they haven't even started the battle. And yet God speaks of, in the past tense, I have given you the city and the king and the mighty men. That would that hit you strange? I'm trying to put ourselves into some kind of when I'm reading this, I have to try to say, Well, if I was there, what would be going on? Now, I would hope I would be one of the people of faith who would say, This is a done deal, it's all over. I want to rethink the equation we had a moment ago. Marching horns, shouting, plus God, and the walls come down. I don't know. This is someone's idea of the walls falling. They don't look 80 feet tall there. But however tall they were, on the seventh day, at the moment that God determines, those walls come down. And they destroy every one in the city. Man, children, animals, everything. This is one of the few cases. I was going to say the only, but I can't remember. So it's one of the few cases where they actually did what God told them. They take Rahab out of the city and her family and they slaughter it, and what's left, they burn it. Faith expresses itself in something that Jerry finds difficult, patient, patient, patient obedience. If God is the hero of the story, the real hero, the one behind it all he is, then it's not as if they're marching somehow and what? Well all the rumbling and the noise brought down the walls. I I read something online last night. I started reading I thought, well I'd like to get a little information. This guy goes, Well, you have so many vibrations at this at this uh you know decibel level I go, I'm done. <laughs> Six feet wide, eighty feet tall. You know, try running into it with anything and see what you do. You know, you like You know, beep, beep the roadrunner, pew, you know, just peel them off. A lesson about the power of God, I think, is needed. They need to understand the same, we have those same needs, but they needed to understand the power of God, and that's only going to happen by patience. If they'd have run across the river, marched around the thing, got boohoo, and it fell, I wouldn't have learned as much if I had been there. So if you read the rest of Joshua, you discover God's promises are equally, e- involve <laughs> activity, not inactivity. I saw a clip on YouTube and it had a guy sitting on a pedestal and a lady came walking by and she's got her cane and she trips. And as she trips, she kind of throws her cane and she says to the young man, can you get my cane? And he says, yes. He doesn't move. So the lady, you know, she slowly makes her way over. And just as she picks up the cane, whoop, piano falls right where she was standing. And she said to the young man, thank you. And he said, you're welcome. And the point of the stupid thing was, sometimes you don't need to do anything. (laughs) That church doesn't work in the realm of God, diligent preparation. They made careful discipline, patient repetition, complete obedience, intention, intentional compassion. They told Rahab, you hang out this cloth and you and your family will be spared. And they were, by the way, you need to check out sometime to see if Rahab's in the lineage of Jesus. God could have said, sit right here and don't do anything, couldn't he? Yeah, he could have knocked the walls over. He had angels come down and slayed people left and right. But God almost always uses people to accomplish his purpose. God wants to use us, church, to accomplish whatever purpose he has here for us in Tulare. Not somebody else. We're not waiting for somebody else. God wants to use us we need to move on our faith faith that acted in spite of doubts now don't tell me they didn't have doubts it was faith plus belief plus some doubt acting on the belief part all right that's jerry's opinion jerry chapter 44 but i can't imagine coming up against those odds and. I don't get how this is going to be done. That's the doubt I'm talking about. It's like, really? So if we, as we're trying to accomplish something that we believe that God wants us to fulfill, we need to act on that part of our faith that is consistent with God's plan. If you go somewhere for help, you need to what? You need to believe they can help you. If you go to the doctor, you need to believe that the doctor can help you. If you go for counseling, you need to believe the counselor can help you. If you get in an elevator, you got to believe it'll hold you. I didn't have a picture of a Russian elevator. I'd have brought it. Samantha, you remember that? You get in a Russian elevator and the doors are closed and it says, four people only enter at risk of your life. And a bunch of Americans came over and they asked us what it meant. And I told them, four people enter at the risk of your life. And how many do you think Americans got on the elevator? Six. <laughs> and we got up to about, I don't know, it, mm, And I hated what was going to come next. There's a little button on there, and you can call for help. And so we did. And the first thing the lady said was, guess what? How many of you are in the elevator? Yanya Pityma Ruski. is what I want to tell her. I don't understand Russian, but I had to say six. And there are my fellow Americans who can't read. When we're going to get into something, we need to believe. We're involved in something. We need to believe that God will see us through. If God asks us to do something, can we feel confident in it? If there's something here in the body we need to do or something, can we we believe God will give us the the wherewithal, the ability, the money, etc.? I'm not talking about just pass it out but it can all be accomplished. Of course it can, because that's what God wants. So belief is always the first part of faith. It's it's when the conviction of certain things are true, even when I don't get it. Imagine the scene, thousands of Jews. Somewhere between two and three million came out of Egypt. Even some Egyptians said, we've had enough, we're out here with you. Now, I don't know how many marched around the city. (laughs) But if you're on the wall the first time it comes, I'm spooky. About the third day, you're like, I ain't even getting up. They're just blowing those horns. Nothing happens. On the seventh day, seventh trip, they blow the horns, the walls come down. I read a man, uh, I read about this from Jay Hudson Taylor. He did some mission work in China, and he says this, there's three stages in most tasks undertaken for God, impossible, difficult, and done. That's pretty neat. I, 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 you know, it's, I, I can hang on to that at least. Impossible, difficult, and done. Here's one thing you learn, whatever you start to do by faith, what do you think? I'm going to say next. It's not as easy as you think it's going to be. Now, it could be the antithesis of that. It could be easier in some ways. But usually when we start out on something, we start out and it's like, yeah, no big deal. I'm on this. And then I begin to face some obstacles or some things I didn't expect. So faith is going to challenge me we won't understand why god wanted it done that way in our class this morning we were we were studying some things like by faith god told abraham get up and go and i'm sending you somewhere else and ask him what is it abraham didn't know he know where he was going how many of you want to get in the car and just go mike i'll tell you when you when you i'll tell you when you're right Because I'd have a ton of questions. I do. What direction? I'll show you. Anything going to happen along the way? You don't need to know. I'll take care of it. Well, how? I have a lot of really probably dumb questions. I think part of this was to let them struggle. To develop this deeper faith and trust in Christ. You know, we see this with little babies, don't we? You know, they're born, and for, I don't know, two or three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, they're just, you know, pretty well zonked. But after a while, they're doing Right? Where do you go? Isn't that cute? You know, they're so cute. Look at them. What are they doing? Man, they're doing push-ups. They're doing all this stuff because in a little bit, they're going to be crawling on fours. They're, they're going to be doing twos. We let them struggle. but oh, So stop. No, don't, don't move there. God needed to let Israel, he he tried to do it with the first generation. They just weren't there. He tried to do it with them to bring them into the promised land. But these, he wants them to know, okay, I'm going to bring it in, but I want you to be patient and I want you to watch me work. When God sent his son into the world, he didn't send him to Rome. Rome. He didn't wait to send him to New York or Chicago or L.A. either. When God got ready to send the Savior into the world, he sent it into a little bitty obscure village called Bethlehem. It's easier for the world to see his power this way, isn't it? If he'd sent him to Rome and on a, a big old horse and... But he sends him as a helpless baby into a nation that nobody had—most of the world hadn't heard of—and those that had heard it would just spit on the ground and it would burn. The real battle of Jericho wasn't with the Canaanites. The real battle of Jericho was with the hearts of the people that God wanted to develop faith in. Remember the name Joshua. What it means? God saves. In the Greek, it means Jesus. Do we have any walls we need to conquer? Do we have any obstacles that we need to overcome? You know, in our life group, by the way, life group, Wayne's wife, (laughs) Wayne's wife group, Wayne's life group is meeting at our house tomorrow night. But we, we're going to try to do something. We're going to we'll tell you it's a secret. We can't tell you today. But we need to conquer some things. And we're kind of determined we're going to do some things differently than we've done in the past. Maybe, maybe God will bless us in this endeavor. So what's the key to all of this? Hebrews 12, and I'm not going to read it all in this passage, but looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now stay with me because I want to read 2 through 6, I think it is, in the Message Bible. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. Whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, a long litany of hostility, through a long long litany of hostility, he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline in your souls. I love to read these stories again. I'm I'm reading them differently than I did before. I used to just read them and got the high spots. Now I'm looking for the details, not just for detail's sake, but they reveal so much about God and his relationship with his people. So Jesus starts it, Jesus finishes it. So how about if we stay with Jesus, right? We let him start it, we're going to work our life to finish it. And if we don't finish up, what? We're going to ask our kids and our grandkids, you finish it up, will you? We're not through with the battle. Israel didn't do that. They they didn't clean the land. They got to where they spared the people. They got to where they intermarried with the people. And that led to the destruction of a people that God called his very own. I don't know where you are in your life today. But if Jesus isn't first, if he isn't the author and the perfecter, the beginning and the end of your faith, he can be. We'll share with you what Jesus means to us, what he's done for us. If you need prayers of the church for strength, do it as we stand in sing. Church podcast if you have questions feel free to send us a text at 559-234-4883 drop us an email or reach out to us on our instagram or facebook page at larry.church have a great rest of your week and god bless